Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. War times are really fascinating because people have loads of unmarried sex. Um, they have sex with people that aren't their partners. They have babies with people that aren't their partners and then pass them off as other people's babies. Oh, my God. Hello there, folks. How are we doing today? I am Gavin, and it's nice to be with you. This is the Manzilla Podcast. Thank you very much for being with us. So it's just me today with um, our wonderful guest, Nikki Hodgson. She's somebody I saw on Twitter and on social media a while ago and was really, really keen to get on the podcast because uh, she has written a book about the history of dating, the curious history of dating. Um, There'll be a link below in the show notes to go and check that out. But she's known as a bit of a dating commentator, dating expert, sex expert, relationship expert. Um, And the purpose of this show is to find out how dating has changed for men over the ages and what we can learn from daters in the past to what we're doing right now. So it's, yeah, a bit of an interesting historical look at dating and what we can learn from that. And so I hope you find it interesting. I hope you find it inspiring. But Nikki's really, really interesting because, I mean, she used to be she used to be a dominatrix, and she's written a book about that as well. Um, so she's explored a heck of a lot when it comes to dating, sex life, sexual encounters, all those kinds of things. Fascinating person to speak to. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Please do like and subscribe. It would be appreciated if you could do that. It helps with all the rating malarkey stuff. Um, and yeah, follow us on Twitter, follow us on YouTube, follow us on Instagram. Yeah, it means a lot when you do that because the, yeah, just obviously boosts the numbers, doesn't it? So thank you for doing that and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Let's just take it away now. This is myself, Gavin, interviewing Nikki Hodgson for the Manzilla podcast. Thanks very much. I think in terms of like your background and like, you know, your kind of, um specialism if you like you know dating is a huge part of it relationships sex etiquette and involved in that you know that's that's kind of like something which i think a lot of people are really interested in um and want to know more about and you've written an amazing book haven't you which is (laughs) yeah uh, the curiosity of dating over the ages isn't it yeah yeah 
it's a really interesting book. We'll get onto that as well in a sec. But I think in terms of how you got into what you're doing now, how did you actually start out? How did you sort of get to where you are? Really good question. I had no plan to be <laughs> some Yorkshire version of Carrie Bradshaw, which is what people say to me. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I studied English at university. I was always pretty academic and really into women's history and women's issues. Yeah. And when I went to university, I did English and I became really obsessed with romantic poetry. Yeah. Uh, sort of the, starting from the inception of romantic poetry, which is really in the 13th, like 12th, 13th century with this guy called Petrarch in Italy. Yeah. So I learned all about like, the history of the sonnet and um, the first love poems that were created and what they did to romantic representation and all this kind of stuff, you know, I, I was fascinated by it, but other people think it's pretty boring probably. Yeah. But, um, I couldn't really get away from being interested in kind of women, words, love, sex. They were the things that I always wrote my essays about. It was always the same essay, basically, yeah, no yeah. matter what period I studied. Yeah. And then when I, at the same time, I was working in student journalism, like most people do, you know, I had a radio show. I wrote for the paper, I wrote for the magazines. And um, when I graduated, I thought, well, what the hell am I gonna do? Well, I wanna be a journalist, but but my subject area is kind of really women. That was what I was really interested in. So I sort of ended up doing gender, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, worked at Radio 4 for a bit and then mm. went to the New Statesman and then um, and then I got a job in a political magazine where me and the editor didn't agree at all on women or gender or anything that I was doing. Oh, right, okay. But it was really, really great because I got to kind of see the other side of people's arguments about kind of men and power and feminism and what the problems are with it and all this kind of stuff. And then at the same time, I was working as a dominatrix part-time, which is well documented. <laughs> um, my first book was about that uh, because I didn't have the money to pay for my internships. And it just kind of, all these things kind of synthesized and I became really interested in kind of, yeah, this combination of stuff. So then before I knew it, people were asking me to write the sex column for Men's Health magazine. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I wrote my first book about my checkered career as a dominatrix, which is yeah. really just lots of ridiculous situations and laughter yeah. rather than anything sexy, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and because I'd done that, then it kind of put me in a position to be asked about love and relationships in general because yeah. it had given me a unique perspective. Yeah. So I, it, became a, it became apparent to me once I'd written that book, it, yeah, it, was, it was an interesting project because I only had six weeks to do it. And when it was published, it sold pretty well and then yeah. it got translated into a couple of languages, but it, it really pigeonholed me in this really strange way as this former dom and I just thought but I, you know I'm this like weird little academic girl yeah. that loves lo love poems yeah so what can I do next and then yeah I kind of branched out into the dating stuff because what I'm really interested in is how we connect with people yeah yeah that's what I'm fascinated by so yeah, yeah. so yeah I've got to ask you more on the dominatrix stuff I mean that, <laughs> that I think for a lot of guys is just you know you know the whole kind of S&M sort of side of things and you know, Fifty Shades and yeah. um, so many other things that you kind of see within like films and media. That's how it's represented. Uh, is it anything like that? Is it? Is it? Is that what? Is, is that what? Do you get kind of like really weird? Did you used to get really weird requests requests from people and all that kind of thing? Well, like, it depends what you mean by weird. I mean, yeah. I'm not the best person to ask anymore because I think my scale of what's strange has just kind of gone off the yeah. scale for want yeah, of a yeah. better way of putting it. But lots of people were just really interested in very low level bdsm activities they wanted a bit of spanking or they yeah. wanted to be restrained in some way or they wanted to be spanked um or um yeah to me all those things are quite innocent mm -hmm. but it was amazing how many people had deep deep shame about them right and i think what was the most fascinating thing about doing that work was just 
how much it taught me about how restricted we still are as a society because you know I was only in my 20s when I was doing this it's only sort of 10 years ago right yeah and it was around the time that 50 shades was coming out mm -hmm. but the kinds of people of all ages that would come to me for sessions would just you know th there might be desires that they'd harbored since they were since they had kind of like first nascent memory of you know being sexual but they often just felt so so ashamed and they'd never maybe asked a girlfriend or a partner before to do these things with them so I felt quite privileged that they would come to me and that, you know, we'd have this opportunity to do this thing that they really wanted to do for ages. And they would often have a huge sense of relief afterwards um, and, and a sense of relief that they weren't that strange. So, I mean, there, there were some slightly odder requests. And one of them was probably a guy who, um, he had a sort of kind of reverse cannibal fantasy. Well, he, his fantasy was that he wanted to be eaten. Oh, wow. So it was around Easter time. <laughs> and I used to dom with a group of girls. It wasn't just me. I, I did some sessions by myself later on, but we yeah. had a little domming circle, so yeah, to yeah. speak. Uh, which was, yeah, hysterical in itself. Domming circle. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, man. But, we used to have a lot of fun. We used yeah. to really kind of go for it with people. And you wrote a book on this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. What's it called? Just it's so called Bound knows. to You. Bound to You. Bound to You. Oh, yeah. I love it. What made you want to do a book on the history of dating effectively? Well, this was really after I'd written my first book. And like I said, I'd been pigeonholed and I thought, mm -hmm. no, I'm really geeky and I'd love to write a history mm. book about relationships. So that's what I pitched and that's what got commissioned. And um, it's really a kind of social history of love and marriage and mating and sex and relationships through the ages. Yeah. And what it really taught me is that we're as similar and as different from people 300 years ago. Right. People's base desires don't shift. Right. The, thing that, the things that propel them, and the ways they want to connect don't actually alter that much. But yeah. it's just the social situation that changes. Right. But what is different is that when women have more rights, then they have um, they have different ways that they can date and meet mm. people. And so it's really been, for me, looking kind of like taking that 300 year view, it's really been women's rights changing that has shifted dating for us. Right, I see, that's interesting. It really is interesting. The environment has just changed. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Um, so yeah, in terms of like everything else you've done over the kind of like, over the years that is relating to sort of sex and dating and, and relationships. What do you think has been the most like inspiring project for you, would you say? That's a really good question. I really love doing a column for men's health because that was really an opportunity to speak directly with men mm. to their desires and to their anxieties. And okay. I don't think there's much, I think what we're really bad at in society is having a really good dialogue between men and women about relationships and sex. We still don't do it very well. No, we don't actually. We so don't. We're not that good, are we? We're really not that good. And I, I just thought that that was a brilliant opportunity, especially because I would have to pitch Toby Wiseman, who's still the editor, things mm -hmm. that I wanted to write. And a lot of them, he was just like, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> it took me about two years to get a piece about BDSM in, for example, about men being submissive. And mm. now that's something that obviously I... You know, I made a living out of for a while and I know that lots of people are into it or want to try it at least. They're curious. Mm. And um, it took ages to persuade him to let me do that piece. But when we did it, it was actually really successful. And yeah. I, I knew that it would be, but you know, it's, it's interesting even what men don't think men are interested in, that women actually know that they are because <laughs> they've yeah. experienced it with them. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on then to the uh, the history of dating then, Nikki. Um, and like you say, it, it things haven't changed too much over the years, the desires, but the environment has. and mm. Is there anything from, you know, from your research and from your work that, you know, that really made you sort of sit up and think, oh, wow, that's surprising. You know, is there anything within your like kind of repertoire that you thought, wow, you know, I wouldn't have thought that, you know, from time that's gone? Mm, yeah, there's, there's loads of things. But I think, well, one of them is that dating, dating ads were actually around in the 18th century. Right. Okay. So 
what people used to do is send these little notes to coffee houses in London, like via a PO box, and they'd yeah. be little messages to people that had advertised in these matrimonial gazettes. Yeah. So you could literally put an ad in for a partner, and they were quite funny. They'd say things like, um, you know, gentleman of a of a of a handsome mean has ten thousand a year, looking for you know princess yeah. for rest of life or something like that. Yeah, but yeah. they were they were always mentioning the money because. Right. They were very frank up until this period about what they had and what they could give, oh, really? and that was because women still couldn't own their own property. Yeah. So you you couldn't you couldn't you could inherit something, but it became your husband's upon marriage. I see. Oh my word. So okay. so that it was really important that you didn't marry a cad because if you did, then the family's fortune went down the drain. Oh. So it okay. was the Married Women's Property Act that came in, in like eighteen fifty or something that changed all that. So up until yeah. that point, it was it was absolutely fine to talk about what money you had. You know, like how you see in Jane Austen films where they're yeah. always going about. Oh, he's got 20,000 a year and a, you yeah. know, pensionable income and all this kind of stuff, you know, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was that kind of idea. And then the other thing is that Victorians had loads of um, premarital sex. Did they? Yes. Yeah, so at the end of the 19th century, I think a third of all the brides going up the altar were already pregnant on a wedding day. Oh my word, yeah. really? It's a really crazy statistic. Jeez. Yeah. Working class women, not so much middle class, but yeah. still like, the majority of the population, like not the majority, so a third of the population yeah. was already pregnant. Yeah. So um, yeah, that to me was, that, that was a bit crazy to me. Like, yeah. Because we have this, there's been this misperception for sort of generations about how prudish the Victorians were. And they might have been on a level, but the fact that they were always talking about how not to have sex, of course, meant they were therefore always talking about how to have sex, yeah. if that makes sense. <laughs> it was a bit of like hiding in plain sight kind of thing. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's this myth of uh, Victorians covering up chair legs and yeah. table legs because it's meant to be provocative. Right, yeah. Well, apparently that was only Americans that did that. Oh, really? Not Brits. So, yeah. Okay. So, I found out all these like crazy, bizarre, <laughs> random facts that I, when I was researching the book, I'd be telling my partner, oh my God, you've got to find out about this. Yeah, he's yeah. never quite as enthusiastic about it as me, but it's <laughs> full of that kind of information. I just thought, really? Did that actually happen? How And how interesting that we we think that we're the most liberal generation. Mm. Well, that's not true. The kind of liberal attitude to sex goes through pigs and troughs. And mm. I actually think we're in a quite conservative patch around relationships at the minute as well. Oh, that's interesting. In terms of the films that have come out that have mm. glamorized sort of, you know, sexual liberation, what do you make of those? Are they something that you think um, help with kind of like the mindset, would you say? It's difficult to know. So I think back to when Fifty Shades came out, for example, mm -hmm. and I think people were just kind of thrilled by the novelty of it. I don't yeah. think they were necessarily engaging that much with the BDSM elements of the yeah. of the book and then of the film. But every time you have something like that come out, it definitely shifts the dial. Yeah, and it shifts what people can speak about. Like you know, as a journalist, and you'll know this, it shifts what uh, news reports get done, what subjects are um, researched. Mm. And so then people think, oh, maybe I can ask that question that I wouldn't have asked last year. Maybe I'm going to ask it now. So inch by inch, we kind of move along to a, a place where we are able to have kind of freer discussions. Um, I think a film that I watched recently, which I absolutely loved, is Hustlers with Jennifer Lopez. Oh, yeah, Lopez. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I really want to see that. It's oh, fantastic. Yeah. It's so sexy, funny. Yeah dramatic I mean you know it's a popular film but I think it's a brilliant example yeah, of yeah. what happens when you get women behind the script and behind the camera right. I think yeah. I don't know if it's a female female director and producer but you can definitely tell that women have been involved in tell. the scripting yeah, and yeah, the yeah. storylining of it the acting is brilliant and I think we watched it on Valentine's Day because I really <laughs> wanted to you know it's like my idea of a good Valentine's Day is watching that oh, I'll tell you something yeah I, I've heard only good things about it and yeah. I do want to see it so I think it's on Amazon Prime it is it? it's well worth a watch but yeah. I think that's a really good example of how when, when when we get it right about sex, we really get it right. Yeah. And that film is so entertaining and I hope makes 
lots of people feel much more comfortable with their sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to like the um, you know dating in back in the day, if you like, you know, hundred years ago, say. Um, you know, chivalry was something that I, I I don't understand chivalry back in terms of history, but I know what it is now. I think anyway. I hope. Um, but <laughs> it is um is chivalry something that has you know that you've noticed that started from from a time or from a period is and it and do you think it's kind of like changed and evolved over the years? Is, is something that is that something you've picked up on? Yeah, absolutely. Chivalry changes every generation. Our mm -hmm. definition of it. So, I mean, the original definition is basically about preserving your lady's honour, which is really about making sure she doesn't have a sex with anybody before right. marriage. Right. So that's not necessarily somebody will, something we want to bring forward to today. But the idea, and the, there's an element of putting someone on a pedestal, well, that really comes from the medieval period, this idea. There's this German word called Frauendienst, which means literally worship of goddesses, like worship of women. Right, okay. So that's where all that stuff originates. And there's also something else really fascinating, which is Petrarch, who created the sonnet, he was writing through the plague, so the, this idea that he's put women on a pedestal through his poetry might be related to the fact he couldn't get up and close to them because yeah. of the plague. So I only just found that out recently, which I thought with coronavirus is kind of an interesting parallel. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but, but then, you know, kind of gets the Victorian era and things. Um, there was a huge code around how you uh, gave somebody a, a name card, how you called at their house whether you were able to lend them an umbrella, you were not meant to lend women umbrellas because really? it was bad. It was, it was seen as kind of un, unfeminine to accept an umbrella from somebody. What? And if you, if you didn't get your umbrella back, then you were really in trouble, basically. Jeez. So there were, there, was, there, were, there were things that we would just think are ridiculous, but they put so much emphasis on doing right. Yeah. They also had something called breach of promise, which meant that yeah. um, you, could sue, uh, you could sue somebody if they broke, broke off an engagement if you were a woman. So mm -hmm. if your male partner left you, you could sue him. Right. And this was obviously to protect dowry and to protect you know, your kind of future if you'd put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak, with someone. Yeah. But, but while the concept seems chivalrous, what actually would happen is that to um to kind of get this money you'd have to go up on the standing court mm -hmm. and you'd have to uh, basically talk about your sexual history and then people would kind of like you know lay you open and attack you and then often you wouldn't get the money anyway and then really? you have your reputation ruined as well God. so there's all these really bizarre things that happen throughout history it really starts to shift around war times yeah um war times are really fascinating because people have loads of unmarried sex um they have sex with people that aren't their partners they have babies with people that aren't their partners and then pass them off as other people's babies oh my god um when the in the second world war when the gis came over which is kind of like well documented yeah. but you know there was this like amazing energy to britain that was basically <laughs> transatlantic couplings happening everywhere yeah um but yeah and they used to you know they, 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 this whole thing of kind of like trading trading sex i say trading sex like they had a good time with each other but it was kind of in return for silk stockings and yeah. tins of peaches and stuff like that right oh <laughs> so, my god <laughs> so if you, i mean depends how you look at it it kind of is chivalrous if you need those goods yeah. and you have a nice time with someone and they're nice to you yeah um but i think you know kind of taking all those things into account looking at chivalry today yeah for me chivalry just means good manners mm -hmm. it's really about respect and it's amazing how many men um really would protest that they respect women but do some really basic things wrong mm -hmm. in terms of listening to women yeah um really caring about their not just their feelings but their intellectual thoughts their mm -hmm. in, their inner lives 
thinking about what would pleasure them in the bedroom as opposed to just like what they can get out of them sexually. Mm-hmm. Just And thinking about like how they make a life with them. Who, who has to give up work if they have a kid? How do they split housework? Like they, these are all things that people are still grappling with. And for me, they're part of chivalry because yeah. somebody who's chivalrous wants you to kind of have your, you know, someone wants you to kind of live your best life. And that often means sharing the power and it means sharing the burden of labor and there's still things that we're negotiating yeah it's yeah it is interesting isn't it and i wonder how much it will change in in the years ahead um and do you think apps have contributed to a lack of chivalry or a lack of respect i mean that's what a lot of people out there say i'm not i'm not um suggesting they do but i think that um you know a lot of people when they complain about sort of meeting people on the apps uh no apps in particular just the general dating apps that are out Mm. there um, a lot of people say that they kind of you know the way of conduct the way of speaking the way of being with you know you know a, a woman on there and there it just sort of goes out the window a little bit because it's i don't know whether it's just seen as a commodity they're seen as a commodity rather than a a person and i think that's a problem for a you know a lot of guys at the moment they, they sort of just use the apps for for their own needs sure. and women too as well and women too to a point but um yeah do you think apps have, have kind of i guess not killed chivalry but dulled chivalry at all yeah they so the thing that apps have done is they've gotten rid of accountability Mm. so when you met somebody 100 years ago the you know even if it was somebody that you only got to date because they lived down the road and they were in your neighborhood the positive was that your local community knew them Mm -hmm. so they came they came recommended basically yeah and if they misbehaved the whole community would hold them to account right now if somebody treats you really badly on a dating app nobody knows about it right and that's the biggest difference and just just as you were saying about you know um you know dating apps kind of affecting our sense of us being commodities well i always say you've got to remember there's a person behind the pixels that's like one of my catchphrases when i'm talking about you know how to date well on a dating app Mm -hmm. what we have lost is this sense sometimes that there is a person there you might not be getting on with them maybe you're not that attracted to them or there's a bunch of other reasons why you don't want to date them but they're a human being and they have feelings they have needs um, they deserve to be treated with respect, whether you've got time for them or not. I mean, you should always, you know, ghosting is a prime example of yeah. a lack of chivalry mm-hmm. because it really takes two seconds to just send a message saying, hey, really nice to meet you, but I don't think this is for me. That's all you have to say. Yeah. And then they get, they can just move on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. that's the polite thing to do with anybody. I understand if you've got tens of thousands of matches, maybe you can't do that with everyone, but actually we know that men have a much harder time on dating apps than women, they receive far fewer messages. Mm-hmm. So I've never really met a man that is so inundated with messages that he can't reply to the people he's goes to. So I think that's a just rubbish excuse, personally. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you something, I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of guys, that's something that's something they would wanna hide, they wanna make out that they The probably... ghosting behavior is something that everybody hides, Yeah, sure. I think so, I think so. <laughs> I've got to say that I think our generation of men in their 40s and 50s now are probably the best generation we've ever had in okay. terms of chivalry. Like, yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. Because when you kind of, you know, the reason I say that is, and lots of women will probably say the same thing, yeah. is because they just missed the porn generations. They were right. kind of brought up on like <laughs> yeah. dial up or um, really kind of like, you know, like Basic Instinct or something like that, you know, like a sexy film that was was vaguely pornographic, but that's kind of (laughs) as far as you'd get with it. (laughs) Yeah. So they've had to do a lot more work in in terms of reaching out to women, but they've been brought up in a socially liberal society where you're allowed to have sex before marriage. Yeah. You know, so that combination, I think, works well. My partner is of that generation, so I I think he's very nice. (laughs) Um, But I think... 
I think younger generations of men that have been kind of brought up on porn, and I there's plenty of porn that's brilliant and the porn has its place. Like I've been a big, big advocate of porn as a safeguard for monogamy because mm. I really do believe if people get to uh, explore their desires through porn, they often won't cheat. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, but people that have kind of a lid on everything and are very tightly wound up just yeah. don't really have any control over their sexual desire. Interesting. And I found it a lot when I was doming actually that the people that had really explored what they fantasized about had a much more balanced attitude to it. Oh, and really? the people that had kind of locked it away were just all over the place when it kind of came out, if that made sense. It was yeah. like just Pandora's box waiting to be opened. Wow. So, so I find like younger men that maybe have been brought up on porn and maybe haven't had a good sex education because the thing we still don't have in this country mm. is really good sex ed. I, I worry for them. Like I can see them struggling. Younger, you know, if men in their 20s or even teens talk to me about, you know, how to relate to women, they are struggling. They are right. really struggling. Yeah. So what we need to do as a slightly older generation is really kind of take them under our wing and steer them and help them learn what it is to connect to somebody and have respectful sex it's not about enforcing everybody it's not about enforcing monogamy or demanding that everyone gets married but it's just it's making sure that men can feel they can connect with women because so many of them have sex because all they want to do is connect but they haven't even figured that out themselves Mm. so they're kind of chasing 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 the stuff that happens on the dating apps and they're desperate for a connection but they haven't like named it as that yeah so the minute as a man you can separate out sex from love and then see when you want to conjoin those or not yeah, yeah, which yeah. is fine if you don't the 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 minute you have an easier time in relationships and relating to girls i think yeah that's fascinating the whole like the sex education angle i think is something that you know currently i don't think is you know enough is being done to no. to make people more aware because things have changed so much like you say with you know the porn generation now it is is youngsters effectively you know it's so accessible on our phones it's so accessible everywhere that the newer generation often probably have like a harder uh, do you think they have a harder time navigating kind of like you know what the boundaries are would you say or i mean when you when i talk to younger people they seem to have a stronger understanding of what consent is which yeah. makes me really happy oh, because good. i feel yeah. like they're being taught that quite well and i mm. think i think since me too the conversation that has filtered down has really been about what what is consent and how do you know if somebody wants to go to bed with you or wants you to touch them or, yeah or how do you know you want to be touched and I think that's that's definitely filtered down. So that makes me feel happy. But yeah. I still think if you're getting that message day to day about what consent is, but then maybe you're watching some content where it's not always clear where the consent yeah. lies, there's a bit of a contradiction there. And um, I tried a couple of years ago to set up something called the Ethical Porn um, Partnership. Oh, okay. Uh, which was... I'd been working in LA and I was basically writing about porn for Men's Health and The Guardian and I was going on sets all the time and you mm-hmm. know, seeing what, what was happening. And I just got into my head, oh, well, if we had a kind of fair trade standard for porn, I know it sounds ridiculous on a level, no, but no, I was no. like, if we had a fair trade standard for porn, wouldn't it make it better for, for the consumers as well as the producers and the performers? And lots of people agreed with me in principle, but there was no way that people were going to kind of get on board and try and sort it out. And then the, the people, the liberal people, the ethical people that you think would be interested in it were really hesitant about it and then mm-hmm. you know lots of people mocked it because they just thought oh, it's just ridiculous but what i find now is there are several versions of that ethical porn sure. partnership being created so oh, i'm great. really hopeful and they're coming from younger people than me yeah so i'm really hopeful that younger people have sort of thought no hang on a minute we can do this better and if we can do fashion better and if we can do design better if we do food better then why can't we do porn better <laughs> 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What sort of things did you like, obviously what you, you, know, you saw what you saw, but like um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the kind of like, uh, what were the attitudes towards that that um, that idea you had? What, what did people think? Yeah, I mean, it was mixed bag. So there's, there was a burgeoning women's movement, new women's movement in Poland, yeah. because there's always been women making pornography, actually. That's mm, really important to say, as far definitely. back as like, you know, the 18th century. Oh, really? There's always okay. been women making things, but they just haven't been allowed to show them and they've been kind of in lots of trouble if they have done. Yeah. So, you know, there was a huge movement in the 70s uh, for female pornographers to kind of make their own content. There's a woman called Annie Sprinkle, who's absolutely incredible, who spent her whole career kind of uh, objectifying herself, basically, yeah. and using her own body and and bodies of her friends to, to make this brilliant content and really push the boundaries of what it was to be yeah. an object or a subject even in, in porn. Yeah. But um, the when I used to speak to people, people in LA, what they would always say is that the porn industry was becoming atomized. So whereas once upon a time in the 90s, you had these golden days, the heyday of porn, where you yeah. had these Jenna Jameson productions and these like, yeah. you know, there'd be loads of money and everybody was being paid really handsomely. And it was a it was a big cast and it was a crew, so there was a family feeling to the production. Yeah. Now everything is being reduced to, you know, solo shows, um, camming, yeah. um, maybe yeah. partners doing shows with each other, amateur stuff, which it's very difficult to know who's controlling what's being created. Mm-hmm. And that atomization is stopping people from coming together and creating any kind of union mm-hmm. really that would protect them. There was there was um, a body that came together, but one of the one of the leaders of that was a guy called James Dean, who of course about yeah. a year later was done well as accused. He wasn't done for us, mm. he was accused of rape by um, a porn star that he'd performed with. So it kind of all fell apart. But what he really and I interviewed him, and he was quite a fascinating guy. But what it just really highlighted to me is that there, there definitely needs to be some sense of a code of conduct that would just make everybody feel a bit safer and a bit better about what's going on. But the mm. other problem is the the people that are running the porn industry, like, you know, um, like YouPorn, for example, Pornhub, the, the, they are really unaware of the kind of content that is being uploaded onto their platforms and they're really out of control with it. So there's been lots of accusations recently that there's uh, child abuse imagery on there and all kinds of non-consensual yeah, stuff. Yeah. But it takes them so long to investigate and it's it's they've they've really they really are kind of in the wild west with it. They haven't controlled the content properly. Of course. Yeah. So it means that it's really, really difficult to find out when people are being harmed or not. Mm. So you know the genie's out of the bottle and all that kind of stuff but what we need is a better control over the porn that we make and put out there when sort of pornography and i guess you know the sexual liberation of 
of society kind of like kind of you know took place when would you say that happened from you know the stuff that you've looked at before and, and does is that something that you know people are aware of now would you say or not I that's really interesting what i found was that they're actually we always herald the 60s because of the invention of the pill and and people didn't marry the same way anymore but actually sexual liberation has happened in every pocket of every decade um the war times were hugely important for sexual liberation the first world war was the first time that women in in britain went to work properly so they became secretaries teachers yeah. journalists um they lived together they had bisexual and lesbian relationships. They took loads of drugs together. <laughs> they did all this yeah. crazy stuff together yeah. in the cities. And um, that is never ever talked about, but that was, a, it, that was a moment for women to think, actually, maybe we don't need men all the time to have a good time. So there's things like that that happened. When you look at the 60s, the thing about the pill was that it was really originally only given to married women and to women in um, big towns. So, you know, people who lived in rural communities or small towns like where I come from in Wakefield in West Yorkshire, they weren't able to get the pill. I remember my mum saying to me that in the 70s, when she was engaged to my dad, she kind of had to beg the doctor and he was refusing to give her the pill. Right. So there's this myth that all of a sudden sexual liberation happened in one year. I mean, what is it Philip Larkin says? Just to say it's 1963, yeah. I think. Yeah. But it didn't happen like that, you know. So I think the media has been kind of responsible for creating this rose-tinted view of the 60s that maybe isn't quite as accurate. Can you imagine, can you see what, what trends in dating and trends in sex and trends in relationship will kind of be apparent? Or mm. what do you think might be the future, if you like? Do you think apps are here to stay? Or do you think, what do you think is kind of the next kind of revolution, if you like? Really good question. So I think apps will be around for a little bit longer. They haven't really been here for very long at all. No, They've only been all. around for about a decade. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah they one of the biggest debates that's kind of going on in the dating industry at the minute and i've worked for some dating apps that's why i know about mm, it yeah. is just what we do with people's data and how that informs how we connect them with each other because what um what is being proposed by some of the bigger dating apps is that we harvest more and more information about people and we use it to create better matches for them but this relates to things like say you find out that somebody used to be a smoker theoretically you could have an algorithm that that warns you this pe this person is more likely to die at a young age and therefore if you're looking for a marriage it's going to last 30 years and you shouldn't marry them yeah so there's it's all to do with uh the ethics of how we use those algorithms and we use that information and at the minute i'm not very convinced that we have the right people in power in the dating industry to do the right thing with that information sure uh, it really worries me that Facebook is still dithering and launch, trying to like launch a dating service. Yeah, and it's kind yeah, of going yeah. back and back and forth on that. But Facebook has just got a ridiculous amount of information on us. They have obviously been held to account or we tried to hold them to account on any manner of dem democratic issues. But when it comes to dating, I would not trust Facebook with an iota of information about me. So the other thing is this idea that computers or machines can judge better for us what we need than mm. we can ourselves. That's absolute rubbish. Right. You know, there's a psychologist talk about attachment theory. So this is the idea that when you're a kid, you're loved in a certain way and you formed an attachment to your caregiver. And then that conditions how you love people as you get older. Mm -hmm. And the dating industry doesn't w want to know about attachment theory because if people knew about it, they'd be able to solve most of their own dating problems by figuring out their attachment style. Right. So one of the things I always talk about is attachment. And if you can teach yourself about it, you can read loads of books on it. Um, it's, it's like a very well known psychological field of study and it's really easy to understand uh, you could basically revolutionize your own dating life but the industry doesn't want you to know about that because then you wouldn't be on their apps anymore yeah. <laughs> so there's there's all this kind of the thing to remember about dating apps is 
the, at the end of the day, they're kind of like glorified fruit machines. Yes. They use yes, they, they use a kind of gambling technology to persuade you to go back on, look at another message, swipe again, send a wink. And they don't really care if you find someone because they only need a very, very tiny proportion of success stories to be able to put out in the media yeah. for it to look like they work. Yeah. That said, I met my, my fiance on a dating app. Okay. So <laughs> it is possible to meet somebody. Yeah. But, you know, the the proportion of people that meet someone versus people that don't is actually, you know, is significant. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the attachment thing you mentioned then, mm. what, what is that to do with? That's just to do with like kind of how you attach to someone. Exactly. So this is the idea that, you know, so how, so whoever loved you as a baby, um, they, they formed a bond with you mm -hmm. and they've kind of started off an attachment style with you. Yeah. And you can, broadly speaking, there are three styles of attachment. You're either securely attached, avoidantly attached or anxiously attached. Right. So anxious tends to be when you worry too much about somebody not returning a call or whether they're going to turn into, a, you know, a, a dating relationship is going to turn into a marriage. Um, anxious, sorry, avoidant is when you do the opposite so you are very reluctant to get into a relationship you're quite standoffish because of how children are loved and because of the way gender works in our society boys often tend to be avoidant women mm -hmm. tend to be anxious not always but that, that that's often how it works out and then that's kind of compounded by our views about how men and women should act as they get older and then what happens is in your 30s most people who are securely attached hook up in their 20s and just go off and live happily ever after yeah and then your 30s you're left with the avoidance and the anxious people. <laughs> so they're all on dating apps, doing this kind of weird ping pong, bouncing off each other, you know, having a kind of push-pull relationship. Yeah. And um, the dating apps thrive on that because that just means that there's always people on the apps looking for someone or, you know, yeah. popping off for a week or hooking up with somebody else because they feel like it's getting too serious too quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us a bit about bit about kind of like you know the curious history of dating the book and you know, mm. the projects you're working on and also your socials too yeah so the curious history of dating is you can buy it now from any bookshop um or any online retailer i won't yeah, specify yeah. anyone that i've also recorded the audible version so if you like to listen to audiobooks oh, then, sweet. then do, listen to the audible i actually impressions of people like princess margaret and stuff so yeah they're pretty ropey but it's pretty entertaining to listen to i think oh right <laughs> <laughs> for not the reason i intended but still so yeah you can you can get that book now um bound to you is still available if you are interested in the dominatrix stuff um and I am at Nikki Hodgson, which is Nikki with an H, N-I-C-H-I, um, on Twitter and Instagram. There we are. Nikki, thank you very much indeed. It's been <laughs> lovely to have you on the Manzilla podcast. Thanks thank for you. Having me. Oh my word, that was just brilliant. Um, fascinating insights there. Really, really eye-opening. Really eye-opening about how dating and how how things and chivalry particularly have changed over the years. Um, what did you think about that episode? I hope you enjoyed it and I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Please do, um, I don't know, well, how can you get in touch? There's so many ways to get in touch with us if you have something to say. You can write a comment on the podcast description below where you're listening to, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. Uh, you can write something on Twitter when you see it on Twitter and on Instagram as well and on Facebook. And also you can just maybe at me, at Gavin R Official. You're more than welcome to do that too. Um, yeah, I'd love your thoughts on it. I'd love your thoughts on what you think about dating over the ages and dating um, through time. Fascinating, isn't it? Um, yeah, see what you reckon about Nikki's book as well. If you've got the, the, if you've got the chance to get Nikki's book or if you've read it before, if you know someone that's read it, um, I think you'd find it fascinating. 
um, yeah fascinating is very much the word of the podcast isn't it thank you so much I will catch you again next time do remember to like subscribe follow etc on all the regular platforms at Manzilla online um, and you can get me at Gavin R official it would be great to hear from you and I look forward to seeing you next time or speaking to you next time and you won't be speaking back to me because this is a one dimensional kind of thing isn't it yeah <laughs> have a good day see you soon this has been the Manzilla podcast make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.